Welcome to Transcending Comics, a podcast dedicated to trans representation in comic books, manga, and webtoons, both on panel and behind the scenes. Today, I'm joined by an incredibly exciting guest. They're an Ignatz and Harvey Award-nominated cartoonist, comic artist, and illustrator with work that's been featured in The New Yorker, Vice, and Electric Literature. If you're queer and don't know them by name, you probably know them by their comic, A Quick Easy Guide to They-Them Pronouns. They're also the writer of History Comics' Stonewall and the creator of the long-running webcomic turned Boom Studios graphic novel, Grease Bats. As if that weren't enough, their recently released graphic novel, Mimosa, has already been nominated for the Best Graphic Novels Reading List by the American Library Association. With all that said, I'd like to give a warm welcome to today's guest, Archie Von Giovanni. Welcome to the show, Archie. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to finally have you. Uh, I, I think you were like the show's first follower or one of them. Oh and, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I feel like I could not have been because I must have like, well, maybe it was like Twitter's algorithm, but I must mm. have like seen a re- like a retweet or something. Mm. That's how I would have found out about it. Mm. To be like, oh, this sounds cool. Like, yeah. Saw the pretty angel in the logo, had to follow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now wanted to talk mostly about uh your latest comic mimosa today so for those that are mostly familiar with you from the quick easy guide or grease bats mm-hmm. uh how would you describe your latest comic yeah um for folks who are familiar with those other comics i would say mimosa is just a lot thicker not just in terms of page count, but also in terms of like content and character development. It was the first graphic novel where I could really spend my time on like backgrounds, on details, and really like fleshing out the world as well as like a prolonged story where I could flesh out the characters also. And then the other difference perhaps with my other work is that it is about a group of queers in their mid to late thirties. And so I always say this, but I'm like, I really want my comics to kind of age with me. And so if you're familiar with my other work, that work has been, you know, it features like characters in their like twenties. So these characters are closer to my age. Now, as far as this being a departure from your previous art style, just with that amount of detail and background information, Is that something you think you're going to stick with going forward with future comics? Or do you think you'll still dabble in the more simple cartoon style? Um, I think I would prefer this method. This is how I've always wanted to do it. But because of like some comics, like some publishers just require like such a fast turnaround that I just like did not have the time to put in as much detail into the story or the characters that I would want to. So this is like a single issue, like graphic novel is my favorite way so far to draw comics. And I think it is my preferred method. I already have a book that I I recently signed the contract for, for my, my next graphic novel, which will be, you know, hopefully similar to Mimosa. Now, this being thicker than your previous work, I know you've mentioned elsewhere that you had editors helping you out on this that suggested you cut down the length a bit and focus more on Chris and Elise rather than Mm -hmm. having like a balanced focus on all four characters. Would you be able to share with us any highlights about what was left out in those pages cut down? You know, there as far as what was cut down, there were like a couple 
gosh, it's really hard to even remember because it was written so long ago. But there were like a couple scenes featuring Joe and Alex, like as just like a couple more as individuals um, and maybe one other scene of them hanging out as pals. In the end, I really like the way that my editors kind of like directed this comic because I do think it makes it a more a more cohesive story and does make it like just like a little bit sharper. So the moments with Chris and Elise, you could uh, like the readers get to feel that impact more versus trying to feel impact for every single character. And by kind of like honing in the focus on Chris and Elise. I still feel like you get a lot out of Joe and Alex too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like, even though I was like, oh man, if anything, it probably like shaved off like 70 pages of work for me, which is good because this book is already big. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Would those 70 pages have made me feel like Alex was any less of a shit heel? No. <laughs> no, perhaps maybe a little bit some more clues about their character earlier, if anything. Mm-hmm. But no, it doesn't change. <laughs> like, it doesn't really change your hmm. mind on that character. <laughs> and how about with Joe? Like, would this make me feel more or less like she was objectively the best character of the book? Um, Probably would have made you love her more. She's mm-hmm. very lovable. I really wanted Joe to kind of, like, represent, well, like, a couple different things. But I really wanted her to represent what it's like to be, like, an adult working multiple jobs and like juggling that and complicated friendships, um, especially when it's not reciprocated, your friendship isn't like equally reciprocated. So I wanted, I think that just like on its own endears people to Joe, just because I think I know so many readers who are like, I also have that many jobs, or I also want to work with youth and also have this adult career simultaneously like that dichotomy i think is just like really relatable yeah so you probably would like her more <laughs> hmm. of the four central characters of the book is there any one in particular that you feel like you relate to most or see more of yourself in oh that's a good question i feel like with this comic i tried to not make a character that was like based on me i really tried to treat them as like individual characters and there but there are aspects or moments or lines from each of them that I had maybe said myself or like have kind of like felt before so I don't think so I think I make a lot of jokes that like Alex is not based on me because a lot of Alex's life isn't actually my life but I'm also a working artist and more trans mask so like perhaps there but I think for the most part, I relate to like Chris's anxieties and kind of the way that Chris has a tendency to spiral about certain aspects and can kind of get in their Like, I think Chris gets in their own way a lot. <laughs> mm. um, and so I think I relate a little bit to that, too. On the note of Chris, in the book, we see that they're in a place of being ostracized from the community, mm-hmm. largely due to their own screw ups and mm-hmm. Uh, This is something I do feel like I've seen people fall into both like of their own accord or unjustly Mm -hmm. as the person writing Chris. Like, I'm curious what your advice would be to people in Chris's position or like 
how how do you go about reconnecting with the queer community after you've screwed up that big? Yeah, after you screwed up. I guess like my, you know, like I do think with time things pass, you know, and I also think that that takes a lot of courage. Part of what I think makes like queer community, what makes queer community is like actually staying in community. And that can be really hard to like actually stay in it if you've done harm to folks or if you've cheated on someone and like everyone found out or whatever. But I think it can be really hard, but really brave to like stay and engage, not just with like those mistakes, but with the people that also perhaps like judge you for them. So I I kind of feel like perseverance is my recommendation and recognizing that like things do pass, like things that maybe seem like a huge deal in the moment over time with, especially with people growing and like people like registering that life is complicated can kind of like start to dissipate. Also, I I feel like the, as powerful as it is to like stay in community, community is oftentimes a lot larger than we give it credit for, especially when our lives go out of whack. If something weird, bad happens, it can really make your perspective feel really skewed. It's like, oh, I ruined all these relationships with people. How can I like remain in relations with folks or like, do I have friends here anymore or something like that? But then I think with some space and time, you realize that there's like a lot of folks probably in your community that are happy to have you as a pal, you know? Mm. Yeah. Now with the friend group shaking so much through the book and all of the characters winding up in a very different place than at the start of the story. Do you have any plans on revisiting these characters to see them develop down the line or like revisiting queer Minneapolis as a setting? Um, I don't have any plans to revisit the characters. That would only happen if somehow it was like a hit bestseller and my publisher was like, we want more. Then I think I would be able to do it. But hopefully that wouldn't happen for like 10 more years. It mm-hmm. could be like a late bestseller maybe. So I can like approach these characters at, again at the same age that they would be like years down the line. I do think it would be fun to like revisit this friend group when they're in their like 60s, mm. you know, uh, <laughs> or something kind of like, you know, like that. I think I would find that quite exciting. Yeah. Hmm. I have a few friends in the trans community that have just moved to Minneapolis and are also in their 30s. And as a trans person nearing 30 in the Midwest in a state that might become inhospitable to me in the next three to five years. Minneapolis is on the top of my list of cities I might migrate to. With you being the person that literally wrote the book on the (laughs) queer bar scene or the queer scene in Minneapolis, uh, do you have any advice to my friends that are new arrivals and like looking to get engaged with the community? Yeah, I honestly think that this, I I think one of the best things about Minneapolis and like every city, you know, there's like problems, but I think what I find the most exciting thing about the city is that it is incredibly active and that there are multiple people doing multiple different things every week. So there's anything from like, I kind of feel like you could start with whatever your interests might be and kind of like hone in there. There's like a radical volunteer operated bookstore that you can volunteer at and then you can make friends there or through their book club or like I went to like a lube wrestling event last week that was like (laughs) public and amazing and like full of people um 
and there's like different dance nights that happen and um and different like organizing groups like I think Minneapolis is one of the busiest cities that I've ever experienced and it is small enough that it is not hard to get involved once you kind of like figure out what to do or where to look and that can be a little bit difficult that's kind of just like I don't know the same thing as everywhere posting a Lex Pat like <laughs> something on Lex asking like mm-hmm. what's up this weekend or following a bunch of people on Instagram but there's like a lot like depending on what folks are interested in a lot to do and I think it ha- is like a fairly also accessible city as far as like trans healthcare goes and LGBTQ like protections. And what I also say about Minneapolis is that I never really feel like I ha- I go into a space thinking, and I'm never like the only queer person there in the room, hmm. that there is no like gay neighborhood because it's just like spread out in the city, which is like, I think quite delightful. Yeah, my my little exposure to Minneapolis has been amazing. Like I, I went to a show there knowing no one. And uh, like six hours later, I was in a hot tub full of some of the most interesting queer people I've ever met. And, <laughs> I love that you found a hot tub. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like that. They definitely won me over on yeah. that New Year's Day. Fun. That's so fun. But I, I'm hoping some of these other elements you've mentioned that you love about Minneapolis do make it into a future comic, whether it's mm-hmm. set in the city or not. I mean, like yeah. I, I want to see your comic about professional lube wrestlers. Or... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, that was that event was, that was so fun. That was a very, very cool event. It was a, it was called Diesel Dykes and it was mm. as good as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> now. One of the first standout things to me in the book is literally the opening page of starting the story with the death of a vibrator. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever I'm writing, I always find the first page to be the most challenging, just since I find it sets the tone for like the way I approach the rest of the story. I don't know how universal that experience is, but regardless, I want to know how you came to the conclusion (laughs) of starting with a dead vibrator. Yeah, so I started it... I knew that was, it was like one of the first scenes, because sometimes when I am starting a comic or coming up with a comic, I don't start with like necessarily the characters or the plot. I always start with like a scene that I picture and I imagine. And I, and the start of Mimosa started with like the imagining this comic scene of someone's magic wand dying. And I knew that that was going to be the start of my next book. I kind of like developed it and the characters from there. But it was like a scene I had wanted to draw for a hot minute. And I knew it was the right scene for Mimosa. I wanted to start off a little crude, a little like a little sexy, kind of as as people on Goodreads call it brash. Uh, <laughs> hmm. uh, but I, I wanted to make no mistake right away from the beginning that this was like a book for kids that this was like just because it was a comic that it was like an all ages or young adult comic just because of the format so it was important to me to get it out like right away that these are adult characters who act like adults i wanted to shift focus a little bit to Mm -hmm. the quick easy guide to they them pronouns yeah yeah now this Comic is like coming up on almost 10 years old now, if I remember correctly. Is it? Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's uh, wild. I'm curious how you feel about where um, 
the discourse around pronouns is currently compared to when you first started publishing this as a zine uh, and specifically around they them pronouns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first started it out, well, like when I first did it as it was the original iteration was like a little zine that I made with my friend, Tristan, before it ended up on an editor's desk who asked us to expand it into a book. And during that time, there was like nobody using they, them pronouns on TV or that I could like witness outside of my own community. And like this book stemmed from just being like so exhausted at having to explain how to do it like over and over and over again that we were like, I was like complaining to Tristan. He's like, oh, let's just write a zine about it. And then we could just like give them the zine or just leave it places where people might find it helpful. And we don't have to like keep doing this hard work ourselves. And when it got changed to a book, one of the things I worked with with Oni Press, who made the book, was I said I would only do it if we could make it less than $10. I want it to be like, I, I can't make it still as cheap as my zine was, but can we make it as like accessible as possible? And I think we made it, we were able to do eight bucks, which is awesome. And so I, I feel like part of the difference now is when that that book first came out, sometimes that book was like someone's first reading about they, them pronouns, or they picked it up and they didn't really know anything about it. And I think now with how things are, I think people are just like, you know, they're just more aware of they, them pronouns. And I think when people pick it up, it's less of a shock of what it's about and more of like, oh, this will help my parents understand mm. or or my school, my teacher, it might help my teacher understand or my coworkers or something like that. This is probably the most widespread comic that I've talked about on this podcast. And I often see it with friends that otherwise don't even really follow comics. And I think I even got this copy at like an Elizabeth Warren campaign event. So amazing. <laughs> now if she could just retweet it. <laughs> that would be so helpful. <laughs> yeah. With this being so widely distributed, I'm curious, like, has it mostly been positive feedback from the trans community or have you received any kind of like negative attention or discourse from it? No, I haven't gotten any real negative stuff from, especially like from my own community. I think if anything, folks are like, I don't need this book. Like, you mm -hmm. know, like I think if you already have an understanding of they, them pronouns, this is not your, this is not going to show you anything new. This is going to, this tries, this book's point is to try and bridge that gap of understanding between a cis person who wants to do well, but is having, you know, struggling with it and other, you know, the people who know it a little bit more instinctively. Um, so from like within the trans community, I think the most critique that I've really been able to at least see or have like heard myself is about how it's just like it either doesn't cover the things that they wanted to cover, um, which would maybe be a different book altogether. Or at times they were like, this didn't help my parents understand or my parents still don't use they them pronouns for me. And I was like, yeah, I know it happens sometimes. Mm. <laughs> I can't perform a miracle. <laughs> One of the most uh, eye-opening and humbling experiences for me when I started transitioning and getting involved in the community was learning to re-gender my language. Like, since I'd started getting exposed to non-binary and gender-neutral people through college, like, I'd started to work on making my language more gender-neutral. And then all of a sudden, I was, like, getting corrected on, like, don't they me, bitch. Like, yeah, uh, yes. 
I'm curious if you've ever felt the need to revisit the subject to address this idea of like other gendering, or if you feel like that's a little bit too complicated of an issue to deal with in a quick, easy guide. No, I don't think it's, I think that would be, I would love to list, like, it would be honestly like a simple page in there. And like, I'm definitely not opposed if it ever gets like another like redesign reprint of like being like, just because like they, them is like a gender neutral pronoun doesn't mean you can just like assign it to folks whose gender you might not know, or like, you know, like it's not shorthand for just for asking, you know, or instead Mm -hmm. of asking. So I think that probably would be helpful because I, like, I don't know. I do remember like a stint of time where that was like a big part of the conversation of of pronouns or like people using they, them pronouns instead of just like asking or like, you know, assuming or something like that when they didn't know. So yeah, I Mm. think that would be an easy addendum to add to the book. Now, as far as your other informative comics go, I was especially curious about you shifting toward a young adult audience with history comics, the Stonewall riots. So having been someone that had worked on like these a little bit more adult focused comics like Grease Bats and Quick Easy Guide, I'm curious how you found yourself working on a young adult comic. Yeah, it's goofy. Um, That one, I think I prefer working with like adult readers. However, I never want to like stop myself from doing something that sounds fun. (laughs) Mm. That sounds interesting. I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I think that if anything, because I work in and have several comics that are aimed at adult readers that can inhibit me getting future work with young adult readers Mm. because not all my work is child friendly. And thus I think publishers are a little bit more hesitant to work with someone who works in both fields, but I would like to be a person who can do it. But with, with the history comics, first, second, the publisher made an announcement that they were working on this history comic line. And there was like some articles about it. And I was like, Oh, this is very cool. I really love this idea. I think it came around at a time when it was like comics in schools was like a really a little bit newer concept, but very much needed as just like another way students can learn information. And so when I was reading them, I saw that they didn't have anything on queer history. And so I just randomly like Mm -hmm. wrote them and was like, you're missing this important aspect of history. Here are three subjects that I could potentially write about and just like pitched myself. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's sort of how that project like came to fruition. And next year I will have, I'm working with Maverick slash Mad Cave and there's another young adult book that'll be out next year. So I have written another one, which is very fun. Mm. Uh, is there anything you can promote by name yet? Or I don't think so. I don't think like I there wasn't like an announcement. So I don't think I can talk about it mm. now other than it's about teens and they're all quite gay. Mm. And it's not about them being gay. They just are. Mm. And I got to make up a lot of words in it. So it's like a little tidbit. Mm. <laughs> I got to make up a little bit of a language, which was fun. Is this in a context of like inventing new slang terms or is it something more story related for? Definitely story related. Oh, yeah. thank God. It's, yeah. There's like a lot of like science fiction sort of elements in it that that was something I haven't really explored too much, but I found extremely delightful 
once I got into it. And I was like, oh, this is just like playing a game. This is very fun. Like <laughs> Now, with History Comics, I know you working with a fellow author of another quick, easy guide, though, mm-hmm. to sex and disability, yeah. uh, A. Andrews. Mm-hmm. So with collaborating with them on this, how did you decide who would take care of writing and who would do the artwork? Yeah, so the way that that project worked was I pitched myself to for second and as as a writer and they were like awesome did you want to draw it too just so you know you'll have to draw a lot of buildings in New York and realistic period clothes for mm-hmm. you know the time Stonewall took place and I was like oh I'm out I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to draw that <laughs> that's too much pressure and I don't feel like I have a skill set so I was able to pitch several artists that I knew and whose work I liked to for second and so it was kind of like designed from the beginning that I would write it and A. Andrews would draw it. And that is the same thing for the upcoming Maverick comic is I wrote it and I got to pitch to them a couple artists that I really love. And so and together we were able to like pick an artist for it. And so it was just kind of like divided from the get go. Now, going the route of like making a history based comic or a nonfiction inspired comic. I've noticed that these tend to go one of two routes. Either they'll take one of the central figures of the historic event and try and make them the, like, try and make a narrative exploring them in a way that relates to the target audience, or they'll go the route of modern kids time traveling to the period in question. I'm curious if you knew from the get-go that you would go the time travel route or how you came to the decision of which way you'd go there. I kind of... I think I always knew I kind of wanted them to kind of like either be like remembering or going back in time. And I knew I didn't want to do too much personification or like, you know, characterization of real people, even though they are existing in the books as characters, you know, they're there and so you can see their presence. But I didn't want like a comic where I was writing from the point of view as someone real in history. And I wanted to do it this way because I kind of wanted that comic to not just focus on in focusing on the Stonewall riots kind of focus on different ways to protest different ways to kind of disrupt and different ways to kind of be a part of change and so I thought what I wanted to do was kind of relate it to what the the kids are going through during the modern day age before they go back in time and they can see and witness what it was happening then and relate that back to like ways they can disrupt and make change and advocate for themselves now Mm. Yeah, time traveling just kind of made sense (laughs) there's a moment in mimosa uh, when joe is about to perform her uh, dom performance Mm. and she sees a couple students from her queer rock camp in the audience and freaks out I'm curious if that moment is at all inspired by the idea of some of the young readers that get introduced to you through history comics Stonewall, like coming across, I don't know, like flagging 101 or one of your other yeah. more mature works. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it is really absolutely like related to my work. Like I don't go to I used to do some talks at like elementary schools and stuff, and I'm not going to do that anymore, mm. which in one hand like makes sense. But on the other hand, like is a little bit of a bummer. But I see it in my own career, but I also think it is quite common for queer people who work with youth to feel that kind of push and pull where anything queer or related to queer sexuality or queer gender 
is and can be read as pornographic, especially by like concerned parents or like something like that can be can, can be seen as pornographic. I think it makes people feel like they really have to present like a PG life or feel like they have to, they can't like be their full selves in all these spaces. And I think it was something that I saw with queer teacher friends of mine who were like, oh, I can't go to that party because like, I know some of my students have fake IDs and they can go there or like, or, oh, it's 18 plus night at this bar we used to love. I can't go there because like some students might sneak in or something like that. And I, and I think that is just like a common push pull that I think queer people face in different formats, but especially people who work with kids. Mm. Now, you had mentioned when you pitched the comic, you had suggested a couple different events you could focus on. Uh, are you allowed to reveal what some of the other events you pitched for were? Um, okay, gosh, I can't remember. I know one was the AIDS epidemic, and that was the one I really wanted to do. Mm. And they were like, I just don't know how we can talk about this in a way that would be appropriate for middle schoolers. And then whatever, I just added it in at the end in the Mm -hmm. Stonewall comics anyway. So I had some creative freedom Mm -hmm. (laughs) there. My editor was like, this is fine. But I I had one other one and I just like, I can't really remember what it was too long ago. No worries. Now, as far as comics you've done over a long time or long ago uh i wanted to at least touch on grease bats since Mm -hmm. when friends of the show heard that you were coming on they're like oh from grease bats and like that was (laughs) the first sketch i'm curious like writing a comic for that long over like seven eight years and in such a quick episodic form like how did you know when you were finished with the series i was done when I think I ended at some point during the pandemic, like the pandemic had been happening for several months. And then I was like, I am burnt out. I can't Mm -hmm. do this anymore. And part of it was that I didn't feel like I was getting paid enough. And I had been working there for so long and the pay increases had been super like far in between and so little that I was like, I would rather spend my efforts on comics that were paying me. And like, it started to cause, because of that, I was like, oh, like this takes up so much time and I am not able to like really relate or like really kind of like put my creative energy towards other things. So that's kind of how I knew it was like coming to a close. And it it wasn't because I was like, I'm out of ideas for these characters or like, I'm done, like they've done everything or anything like that. I truly feel like if I like sat, like that would probably be a comic I would love to revisit in like a different format, like mm-hmm. a longer format or something. Cause I find those characters so fun and put them in any situation. And I would know exactly how each of them would react, but yeah, it was, it was basically cause I just wasn't getting paid enough. <laughs> From what I had the chance to read at Grease Bats, like I feel like I could see those characters interacting well with the cast of Mimosa. So yes. like, I would love to see that crossover. It'd be very fun. Also on, I think at least one page or one party, but maybe both times the party happens in Mimosa, my two main characters, Scout and Andy, are somewhere in the background. Mm. So I, they make they have a little cameo. I, I know that you even once or twice have the collection of grease bats like on a bookshelf in the background. So is this like some kind of Stephen King universe where like they're both their characters in the book <laughs> they're already in and like get to interact I, with the writer? Or anything I have like? no idea. I didn't think it through. Whenever I draw. It's so funny because like 
I, when I draw like details, especially in like mimosa, I want them to be as like interesting as possible for me to mm. like draw. And so like when I'm drawing cups and stuff, I draw the cups that I have. And like mm. when I draw posters, I draw posters of the events I've been to recently or the events I've hosted or in a bookstore, I'm going to draw my own books mm-hmm. or <laughs> they're like little tidbits like that um, make the comic process which can be so long some like so enjoyable but so long like a lot of fun I was like oh I'm just gonna put grease bats here I think the book grease bats is in this in most like three times like everyone's <laughs> it's a, it's a best-selling book in this universe mm. I like to think maybe it's an autobiography from yeah into yeah yeah <laughs> as far as your upcoming comics go I know your website has mention of unhinged as mm-hmm. your next graphic novel Uh, What can you tell us about Unhinged? Yeah, I'm really excited about the characters. Well, it takes place in my hometown or a fictionalized version of my hometown in up in Alaska. So I'm really excited to like explore. Like I was it it feels like really exciting for me to kind of like return home, quote unquote, to this place that was so important to me that I also like need like couldn't wait to leave. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it was not really my home but it i i think there's a lot of things that are really unique about alaska and that can really like shape a character so i'm really pumped to have the setting be there it is a little bit the characters are in their like late 20s early 30s so they kind of go a little bit younger than my mimosa characters but they're still at like there's still like some big crossroads that they find themselves at and like all of my work is about you know, a little mix of like finding yourself and finding your chosen family. So there's like aspects of that too. But I would say it's more crude <laughs> and uh, more explicit, much more explicit <laughs> than Mimosa. So it's not like pornographic, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not that. So I think it is pushing a little bit of what at least current comics get published. Mm. Uh, in that capacity grinder has a big role in it i think mm. we can say that yeah. yeah i was curious uh like i know that the app explores like a queer social media influencer mm-hmm. finding a new world of queer dating apps and that's a new kind of identity in themselves mm-hmm. did you have to like do any exploration of the newer queer dating apps yourself like just in research for the book um i do that for fun but not oh. research. <laughs> <laughs> I do that as my own hobby. Mm. <laughs> no, but I have like, yeah, this character, this book, it did also start with like a very visual, like a scene of, that I wanted to draw, which is, I'll just describe it, but like, I really wanted to draw a scene of someone like drunk, coming home drunk and like eating, a, you know, like I, this, I haven't done this for a long time, but like coming home drunk and you just need something in your belly so you just eat a piece of dry bread mm. or something and one of those characters would be doing that and then opening grinder for the first time and like just like having a like with their mind blown a little bit or like just like something like that and so that is one of the scenes in the book now i'm just saying if you answered that question differently you could possibly use like you could write off your uh your grinder premium tinder plus her premium as a business <laughs> expense so if you want me to do some editing magic please just let me know 
Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> I do try and write everything off. I don't know if I've done that before, but now I think I will. I think, yeah, yeah. It's not just a hobby. It's also deep dive into research. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're a little blurb about it on your site. It mentions ego death as a practice in healing. Mm-hmm. And as someone whose trans awakening started with a very intense ego death, uh, I, I was especially curious what you could tell us about that element of the book. Well, I just think without like giving too much about the book away, I think that some of like the most pivotal moments for people are kind of when they have to reckon with themselves and reckon with the idea that they have of themselves that they've kind of like built up. And so I kind of think of like ego death as like a time when your own self-perception comes like crumbling down much to your embarrassment, frequently also witnessed and or participated by people that you love. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, and I think those moments are really hard, but I'm also quite interested in like the way that I can like explore it in, in my comics. If this is giving too much away, I understand, but we use the term ego death and this being a person who's taken on multiple personas online, like, are we talking about ego death as like a mental or psychedelic thing or more of a like literally killing an online persona or coming to terms with it? It's very fun because I think of this character and, and I think they, without being conscious of it, because I think my character right now or like, you know, for most of the book isn't really conscious of their different like personas, but they are essentially like three different people. And one is like an online persona of who they think they are, who how they present to the world. And then it's like who they are with their friends and and how they actually exist. And and then this like secret cruising persona that kind of pops up a little bit out of nowhere for them and kind of like realizing that none are true. And also that all are a little true at the mm-hmm. same time is sort of where it is. So it is like a little bit does like kind of actually implode in the real world as well as like mental implosions. Okay. Dang. I'm yeah, really. You've definitely piqued my interest on unhinged. Uh, okay, great. Now I just have to draw it and make sure it all lands. <laughs> do we have a timeline of when we can expect a release? No, probably 20. I would, I would, I, I would probably say like 20, 25 or 2026. 20, mm. Okay, going to be a minute. Yeah, publishing is slow. Hmm. I had just a, a couple final questions here to wrap up. I like to have one more fun closing question tailored to the guest. So for you, writer of A Quick Easy Guide to They Them Pronouns, uh, if you could write A Quick Easy Guide to one non-queer related topic, what would it be? Ooh, so fun. Um, This is probably a topic that I... I'm not, I'm not like an expert in it, but I think I would have a lot of fun researching it and then drawing it out. I think I would want to do like a quick and easy guide to like doll collecting mm. <laughs> or something. Cause I really love like little haunted dolls. Um, mm. But I know nothing about like the type of doll or anything like that. And I, I just think that they're like so weird dolls in general are so weird mm. that I want that. Like, I want to do it. <laughs> Are you a collector at all yourself of dolls or other things? I I do. I I, I have a tendency to, like, be a little bit of a collector. Um, I do have a collection of dolls. Usually they're weird 
they're like mm-hmm. weird dolls that I see out and about. I'm like, I'm going to get this or um, weird dolls that my friends find in thrift stores who are like, this looks disgusting. Here you go. I have a collection of my little ponies from like the 1990s, like the mm. old vintage. Now they're vintage ones that I got very into during the pandemic as like a hyper fixation mm. of collecting those. So I, I think I tend to like enjoy groups of things. Now, how many of these dolls do you suspect to be haunted in some way? Almost. I want to say all of them, Mm. but I also have no proof of this other than they just look that way. They Mm. just seem like it. Yeah, I just got my newest doll is also the biggest doll I own. And she's like three and a half feet, four feet tall, Mm. three, I think three and a half feet tall. And so I, whenever I take photos in my house, and like post them on my Instagram. You can like see her in the background. And I'm always like, Veronica says hi. She seems haunted. But yeah, I don't know. Probably not. All right. I got a quick pitch for you that's just coming to me now based on this. And I can edit it out if you want. But all right. So you have multiple haunted dolls in your house. And yet Mm -hmm. apparently no harm has befallen you. And I think this is probably because you've given them some kind of like island of misfit dolls. So like... (laughs) If it was one, that could be a problem. But the thing is, like, you've created, like, a queer community of dolls here. So, like, I I imagine that they have some kind of, like, beautiful scene together of, like, all these haunted, like, creepy-looking unwanted dolls, like, finally get to be in one place. And, I mean, it's just, like, queer people. Like, people demonize them when it's one alone. It's like, hey, we didn't ask to be here, and I'm in this house, and you're letting me collect dust. Like, I'm just trying to expand my influence a bit and reach out from the ether like yeah let's explore the queer community through spooky (laughs) dolls or like this is so funny yes turns out sid's room and toy story not not actually that bad that was like a bdsm scene for toys like yes that's bodily autonomy like (laughs) like sid's probably gonna be their best friend in the future because like woody's gonna rot all that stuff yeah. besides the pl- plastic head so like thank god for kids like sid that grow yeah. up realize they are their ways and like get involved in the queer haunted doll scene yes that's very very fun um i never thought of it as like oh now they're friends and they're like hanging out but it's like it's true they're like one like ugly weird doll next to another like yeah mm. yeah and well cared for there's cheap movies of like I don't know, haunted dolls fighting haunted puppets and such, but like, but let's just see the two evil dolls make friends. Like, it's got to be lonely to be an evil doll. Yes, I know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so I'm into it. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll think about this idea for a little bit. That's <laughs> very fun. Now, uh, before I ask you to plug your own stuff, uh, just curious if you've been reading any queer comics that you'd like to mention within the realm of 2023. Oh, geez. What comics have I been reading? Um, I just went to a manga store and I bought, I think it's called Run Away With Me Girl. It seems I'm only like halfway through, but the art's very pretty. And it seems like a really fun, like little crush love story. And they're adults. So much Mm. manga is about high school students. So I'm really enjoying that they're like working adults. <laughs> Do you actually happen to have any recommendations for manga that would fit for the show? Uh, like specifically geared toward the trans community? You know, I think, I don't know that many. Um, 
The only one that I can think of off the top of my head is Boys Around the Riot. If you're familiar with that one, that one does feature a high school student, but I think it's very fun, very smart. And it does feature trans characters and it's written by someone who's trans. So Hmm. I think that's fun. Yeah. Boys Run the Riot. Okay. Awesome. I I feel bad that I'm like six, seven episodes in here and I still haven't covered a dedicated manga, but. Oh yeah. I mean like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Now, uh, Archie, uh, where can we find you? Yeah. So I think I am most fun on Instagram and my, my Instagram handle is baby wrist. (laughs) So like a baby wrist. (laughs) Uh, I'm also on Twitter, grease underscore bat. And then you can find my website is just archiebongiovanni.com. And my shop is archiebongiovannishop.com. All right. Thank you very much. Well, thank you again, Archie, for taking the time to come on the show. Really looking forward to Unhinged and these mysterious unannounced graphic novels that hopefully coming in the near future. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was a fantastic conversation. Anytime. If the listeners at home have requests or recommendations for comics or creators you'd like us to cover on the show in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Transcending Comics Instagram and Facebook page, on Twitter as at Transcend Comics, or email us at transcendingcomics at gmail.com. We'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance, and give a special shout-out to Ray Day Parade for designing our logo. Our music this week is by Cute on the Inside. Our intro was I Never Knew This Feeling, and our outro was Empathy Understanding. Check out more of their music on Spotify. Join us again next week as we continue transcending boundaries and exploring the colorful world of trans, non-binary, and genderqueer representation in comic books of all kinds. As the curtains fall on this episode of Transcending Comics, remember that comics have the power to inspire change in countless worlds, including our own. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep transcending.